the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. All right, a pleasant good afternoon to you, and welcome to this Tuesday edition of Lifeline for the 10th day of October. As you know, as we have been hearing for the last 24 to 48 hours, massive wildfires continue the impact throughout Northern California. So far, they've claimed more than 15 people. Reporter Joe McConnell has the latest in Sonoma. To say the smoke is thick here is a massive understatement. You can barely breathe without putting a mask or a rag over your mouth and nose. You can hear helicopters dropping retardant on the ridges to my east and north in Sonoma, but you can't see them. The extent of damage is really still being assessed, but at least 1,500 structures have been destroyed in Napa and Sonoma counties alone, and it's far from over. Thousands of people remain in shelters, waiting to find out if they have a home left, hoping for continued calm winds tonight. In Sonoma, Joe McConnell, NBC News Radio. Thank you, Joe. We'll be covering the story, of course, throughout our broadcast tonight. The latest information coming into the KFAX newsroom indicates that there is a newer fire that has so far consumed some 2,500 acres in Lake County. This is in the Clear Lake Oaks area. Let's get the latest on firefighting efforts throughout the state. We're joined by Heather Williams, spokesperson with Cal Fire. Heather, thank you for taking time to be with us. I know this must be absolutely overwhelming. Can you give us a sense so far How many fires in Northern California are burning, and what's the containment level look like? So, um, you know, over the past 36 hours, we've seen 17 large wildfires occur. Um, We have another new fire down in Riverside and another one in the Nevada-Yuba-Placer area that is uh, 65% contained. It did start today. So these 17 large fires, you know, over the past uh, two days, has uh, burned 115,000 acres. And so, you know, we're working to increase that containment. The good news is uh, the larger fires did not grow overnight. Firefighters were able to start to slow down the fire and begin to build those and strengthen those containment lines. What is your sense right now in terms of just the overall resources available? When you talk about upwards of 17 fires across the state, many of those concentrated here in Northern California, and just the sheer enormity of this, has there been any discussion about perhaps you know beyond mutual aid from surrounding communities and counties, maybe the governor calling in the National Guard? Well, we've actually had a long-standing partnership with the National Guard, and we've already called them in. So they have actually have activated six of their helicopters to assist us. All right. And at this point, in terms of just overall the, the, the sense of uh, how the evacuation have been going, we mentioned about the, the current fire now, the latest fire in Clear Lake Oaks, 2,500 acres involved there. We know that there have been some mandatory evacuations earlier this afternoon in the Oakmont area between Green Valley and Sassoon Valley Roads. Where do things stand right now in terms of the number of evacuations and how smoothly do they seem to be going? You know, that first night, it was a, you know, life safety was a priority. And, you know, fires that start at night, people, you know, they're asleep in their home. So a lot of them took by surprise. And I think that, 
now people are aware, you know, they're, they're paying attention. So evacuations, you know, are going a lot smoother. Our law enforcement partners are able to get in there and make these notifications and, you know, advisories and warnings. And then when it is an order, people are being able to leave and are leaving quickly, which is great. One of the major factors that we've seen so far in this fire, it certainly was true throughout Sunday night and into Monday, was the impact of weather and the winds. Uh, some wind gusts up to 65, 70 miles an hour. People that have been in the Bay Area for more than 20-something years, back 26 years ago, in fact, um, October, recall the tragic Berkeley-Oakland Hills fire and mm-hmm. what a role that wind played in spreading that. Has the weather begun become more cooperative? with you now today? Yeah, we were very uh, fortunate that, you know, last night and today we saw some cooperation with the wind. Um, Unfortunately, tomorrow we do have some red flag warnings up into these areas and, you know, winds will be um, possibly picking up again and humidity will be uh, decreasing. So we're really hoping that we can continue to strengthen it and increase that containment, but knowing that we have another red flag warning occurring. Give us a sense in terms of of numbers, and I know it's very difficult at this point, Heather, but uh, beyond some of the reports that we've heard, 15 people that have lost their lives as a result of this fire, we understand that there may be upwards of, what, 150 that are still unaccounted for? Is that still accurate? Um, Yeah, according to the Sonoma uh, County uh, Sheriff's Office, they are stating that number. Um, For for more detailed information, they would be, you know, they would be the best contact to get uh, further details. And any sense in terms of just the number of people that so far has been displaced by the fire? Um, We're estimating that right now over 20,000 people have been evacuated statewide due to all these fires. Wow. Give us a sense in terms of resources. One of the big impacts, of course, has been the loss of power. We've heard that PG&E, of course, in the areas that are major hotspots, haven't even been able to get in and begin to think about restoring power. Have there been issues in terms of access to water because of lack of power and pumping stations being down, things of that nature? Um, with any any fire that damage is done, you know, water supplies can be impacted, and, and there are power lines down in a lot of areas. And so, you know, that is impacting the fire fight and not only, you know, impacting the public that doesn't have electricity right now. I know that this is probably a premature question, but uh, those of us here in, in the immediate Bay Area watching what's been going on in the news over the last 24 to 48 hours and seeing just the sheer size and number of fires that almost seem to have been broken, uh, seem to have broken out almost simultaneously, has there been any discussion about what some of the origins might be? Are, are we looking at potential cases of arson here? Um, you know, we are still investigating the causes, but the thing to keep in mind is that we see 30 to 50 new starts a day at this time of year. You know, October, November is, you know, notorious for being, you know, having devastating fires like the Oakland Hills fire and other ones. But what was so different was these winds. They came in at 50 miles per hour and, you know, they, they just pushed these fires uh, and the embers just rained down a mile ahead of the fire. Well, we appreciate, again, Heather, you taking time to uh, to update us at this point. Is there any sense, uh, final question for you, any sense in terms of when firefighters hope to kind of get a handle on this? I know that the the percentages of containment vary from area to area, but what are we talking about here? Several more days before they can finally get a a handle on all this, do you think? You know, it's still a very fluid situation, and, and, you know, weather does change so dramatically, as we all know, and these winds picking up again, you know, can be, you know, uh, a setback, but we're really hoping that we've done a, a solid job of, 
you know, building the southern containment lines because if the northern ones do come back in again, you know, that fire, we don't, if it pushes back, we want to be able to, we had a solid defense in place uh, before tomorrow. Well, we certainly um, wish Godspeed for you and all the firefighting teams that are out there and the hard efforts being made by Cal Fire throughout the state in dealing with these crises. And as Heather Williams points out, it's not that unusual for California during the month of October to experience wildfires. I think it is the enormity of fires simultaneous and the heavy impact on these populated urban areas that's really catching our attention. Thanks again to Heather Williams, spokesperson with Cal Fire. Earlier today, President Trump says the federal government will be standing with people of Northern California and, in fact, will be providing emergency aid as well. Napa has been hit so hard in Sonoma as they deal with the tragic loss of life and property to devastating wildfires. I spoke with Governor Brown last night to let him know that the federal government will stand with the people of California and we will be there for you in this time of terrible tragedy and need. Meanwhile, speaking at the White House today, the president said that he had spoken with Governor Jerry Brown and will be taking steps to speed up first aid or federal aid rather to California. At least 15 people so far are confirmed dead and dozens more missing as the fast-moving wildfires rage across northern and central California. We have seen well over 1,500 homes and businesses destroyed in northern California's wine country alone. The Sonoma County Sheriff's Office trying to whittle down a list of missing persons reports as wildfires have been impacting the northern portion of our state. Sheriff Robert Gordiano confirmed nine of 15 deaths from wildfires in the state occurred in his county alone. There's 240 missing persons report as of now. Of that 240, we've actually located 57 people safely. Getting people back in their homes soon is important to us as well, but the most important thing is keeping them safe. So the biggest issue for us is securing the neighborhoods that are burned and evacuated to prevent any looting and keeping people out of them for safety reasons. It's actually gone really well for us. We had very few calls of any problems last night, and we have made no arrests, no looting, no problems like that. There are so far some 25 evacuation centers established, and the sheriff's office is trying to link people with families and friends. One of the big challenges, of course, has been the damage to power lines and cell telephone facilities has made communication and cell coverage spotty, and many people, in fact, perhaps evacuated so quickly that they even left their cell phones behind. In other fire-related news, the Atlas Fire in Napa County forcing evacuations in several locations of West Solano County. Mandatory leave orders have gone out to residents along Joyce Lane and Twin Sisters Road. That's northwest of Fairfield. Homes along Green Valley Road and Mason Road to Valley End Lane are also facing evacuation orders along with the residents west of Sassoon Valley Road from the Napa County line to Rockville Road. PG&E reporting that more than 91,000 customers remain without power even at this hour at 5.15 on Tuesday evening in the North Bay. Officials say work crews may have made a bit of progress since yesterday. That was when some 114,000 customers were without power. The bulk, they say, of the outages are in Sonoma County with roughly 53,000 customers impacted there. More than 25,000 customers are in the dark in Napa County at this time and about 13,000 
1,500 down in neighboring counties affected by the wildfires. And, of course, until they be able to get a handle on the impact of the fires, it's going to be a matter of days before PG&E can get in and begin actually working to restore power. Power, of course, a key issue particularly when it comes to the impact on pumping stations, making it harder to battle a wildfire. For example, in Napa's Silverado Highlands area, the lack of power there has forced the Hillcrest pump station offline, creating, quite frankly, a destruction of almost 25,000 acres simply because they don't have power to run the pumps to get water to the areas that are most desperately needed. City Manager Joy Eldridge says the Napa Valley Register, or told the Napa Valley Register, that they're looking for alternative measures to pump water into that zone. We're going to take a time out. It's 516. Meanwhile, as we talk about emergency response in the immediate days here now, um, following the impact of the fires and the devastation of the loss of so many homes, so many residential districts, now our thoughts turn to what happens to the victims. There is a need for emergency shelter, food, clothing, bedding. You name it, they need it. One of the Bay Area organizations working hard to respond to that need is the Bay Area Rescue Mission. Executive Director John Anderson joins us with a report coming up next as Lifeline continues. All right, let's quickly get a look at traffic. We've got Trent Chase with the latest from the KFAX Traffic Center at 517. Trent, good afternoon. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the program. 21 minutes after the hour here on this Tuesday edition of Lifeline. The fires in the North Bay area now forcing evacuations in a Santa Rosa neighborhood. This is a new report coming out. Residents in the Bennett Valley neighborhood along Bennett Ridge, Sonoma Mountain Road, and Enterprise Road are now being ordered to evacuate their homes. Once again, that is in the Santa Rosa area the Bennett Valley neighborhood along Bennett Ridge, Sonoma Mountain Road, and Enterprise Road have now been ordered to evacuate their homes. As we heard a moment ago from Heather Williams with Cal Fire, more than 20,000 people in Northern California have been displaced as a result of these multiple fires. And joining me now with an update is the Executive Director of the Bay Area Rescue Mission, Reverend John Anderson. Reverend Anderson, thank you for being with us tonight on such short notice. We know that typically emergency response isn't the, the, the day-to-day operation of what the Bay Area Rescue Mission does, but I think in a situation like this, it's almost as if you had no choice but to step up to this and and kind of move into emergency mode because of just the sheer numbers of people, John, that have been impacted. It's really true, Craig. And what a blessing that God's people are responding to reach out to people whose lives are truly being devastated by all of these fires and this situation. Uh, Craig, you know, uh, 17 fires over the last two days, 115,000 acres of land burned, 2,000 homes, goodness, about 25,000 people displaced, and uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, 180 people are missing, Uh, 15 have lost their lives that that we know about so far. I, I can't just help but think about Matthew chapter 25, uh, verses 34 through 36, where Jesus said, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was a stranger, I needed clothing, I was sick, I was in prison. 
and you took care of all of these things. At the Bay Area Rescue Mission, we stepped up, uh, we started planning uh, early yesterday evening what we could do to help, and we we took a uh, one of our large largest trucks up to the uh, rescue mission in Santa Rosa earlier today, and it was just absolutely packed with food, clothing, water, mattresses, blankets, sleeping bags, and much more stuff. Uh, we've been able to provide some financial support to the local rescue mission up there to help them with emergency relief, and uh, we're reaching out to social service agencies, the rescue missions up in Napa, Sonoma areas, and saying, look, if if we can help provide shelter and other support services, not to mention what we do really day in and day out, and share the hope of Jesus with people whose lives are in such critical need right now, well, that's what we're doing. And my leadership team has just been amazing in stepping up and helping to accomplish this. And, you know, John, when you think about the overwhelming impact on not just individuals and families who have, in many cases, lost their homes, they may have lost their place of work, so the job is gone, their home is gone. They're asking many critical questions right now about why God and where God, the opportunity to be able to minister to those immediate spiritual needs in such a time of crisis is really what the Lord has called us to do. Moreover, we know from the reports that we've had in conversations with local authorities, everything is stretched to the max. Authorities are doing what they can, but the capacity in that region of Northern California to virtually overnight meet the day-to-day needs and provide food and and shelter and clothing to upwards of 25,000 people is just more than local government authorities would ever hope to be prepared to meet. And so this is one of the reasons why the Bay Area Rescue Mission stepping up to the plate and filling in that gap at this time is so critically important. And if you've joined us late, Reverend John Anderson, the executive director of the Bay Area Rescue Rescue Mission is on the line with us. And I understand, John, that in addition to uh, sending a truck north filled to the brim with food, supplies, everything from bedding and blankets, sleeping bags, food, coffee, water, all these other items that are urgently needed. We've heard reports of stores in the area, those that are open, those that have power, completely out of all of these resources because exactly. it's just, again, everything is so taxed at this point that bringing things in from this section of the Bay Area to that North Bay section is really the only answer. And I understand also that the Bay Area Rescue Mission is making provisions to open up additional shelter for families that are displaced that can't get into local hotels or motels or find shelter elsewhere. Is that true? We're, we're doing the best we can, Craig. We're, we're providing emergency shelter. Uh, you know, our plan right now is to be back up in the Santa Rosa area and offer transportation back to our facilities tomorrow uh, if there, if that's needed. So we're, we're just going to reach out and do as much as we can. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of stretching us a little bit thin, but uh, God has a way of providing. 
Well, we've seen a number of churches that have opened their doors, and now is the opportunity for the Church of Christ, the body of believers, to open their hearts and, quite frankly, open their wallets to help support um, the emergency response to this critical need for friends and family and neighbors right now. And I'll mention again that uh, on the heels of just the devastation to property and uh, people that have been displaced, and with that, the loss of life and the sheer number of people upwards of 25,000 people that have been affected by this deadly fire in the last 48 hours. Um, As we mentioned, uh, the Bay Area Rescue Mission has uh, stepped in to help fill the gap by providing donations of bedding, blankets, sleeping bags, food, coffee, water, other materials, indeed, in addition to that, providing shelter as well. And if you'd like to um, help participate in um, defraying some of the costs and supporting the Bay Area Rescue Mission in this emergency relief effort, we'd like to encourage you to go to bayarearescue.org and make your donation today. That's bayarearescue.org. If it's easier, you can give that gift by phone by calling 888-343-FOOD. That's 888-343-FOOD. And Reverend Anderson, of course, you, you mentioned about stretching the resources of the Bay Area Rescue Mission. My goodness, we're uh, we're heading quickly here into the winter season. Fall is upon us. That means the holidays will be here. Longtime listeners to KFAX know of the great work done by the Bay Area Rescue Mission in providing meals to needy families during the Thanksgiving season, as well as meals and Christmas toys for needy children during Christmas as well. So I guess this additional new emergency is just one more burden so to speak, financially on the Bay Area Rescue Mission. So I would suppose that uh, the partnership with listeners and donations is very critical at this time. It it really is. Uh, You know, we're entirely privately funded, uh, trying to help people change their lives. Uh, You know, we had a conversation with uh, some of the local uh, people in our community the other day about... uh, well, are, are you just being a magnet to draw homeless and needy people into the community? And no, the truth of the matter is we reach out to people who are in great need. Uh, most of the people that we minister to, uh, you know, in a societal sort of way, appear to be a drain on society. But after they go through our programs and their lives are transformed by Christ, uh, they become an asset to society. Uh, but this this is a unique situation we're dealing with with these firestorms right now. Uh, whatever we can do to help the people that are hurting, we want to be there. And uh, boy, we, we are just asking for God's people to be in prayer for the victims of uh, these firestorms and to help us provide help to people who are in desperate need right now. One of the questions that's been asked in the last uh, 24 hours is, what is the most effective means of being able to help people that have been impacted by all of this? How can we be assured that resources will get to them, and most importantly, that both felt needs and 
from a biblical perspective, spiritual needs will be met. And of course, the Bay Area Rescue Mission is one of the most uh, convenient and surefire ways to do just that. Again, you can go online to bayarearescue.org and give your gift right now, fully tax deductible. And again, that's an easy way to do it online at bayarearescue.org. Or you can call toll free 888 FOOD. That's 888 888- 343 FOOD. I don't know by the time this is all said and done if any of us can say that we have not been in either our immediate family or very close in, had a friend or family member impacted by this. In fact, I learned earlier today that um, a colleague of ours, one of our members of the broadcast team here um, at the radio station, his mother in law and father in law lost their home yesterday in the Sonoma fire. So even in the extended KFAX family, we're already getting reports of people that have been impacted by all of this. If you've prayed, Lord, what can I do to make a difference? Let me encourage you as we learn tonight that upwards of 25,000 people have been displaced and emergency evacuation order in place now for yet another neighborhood in Santa Rosa, the Bennett Valley neighborhood along Bennett Ridge, Sonoma Mountain Road and Enterprise Road. That is a new evacuation order. Uh, I would encourage you, as Reverend Anderson said, to first be in prayer for our friends and family and neighbors in uh, the Sonoma and Napa areas in Northern California that have been impacted by the fire, and then do something from a practical standpoint to stand with ministries like the Bay Area Rescue Mission that allows the church, the body of Christ, to step forward and do what it is that God has called us to do in being light and salt. Right now, the Bay Area Rescue Mission has been providing bedding, blankets, sleeping bags, food, coffee, and water. A big truckload was delivered today. More will be delivered tomorrow, along with providing emergency shelter as best as possible for the 25,000 individuals and families impacted by this fire. To stand with our neighbors to the north and make a tangible gift to help them in this time of humanitarian crisis, go to bayarearescue.org. That's bayarearescue.org. Or again, call toll free 888 FOOD. That's 888 FOOD. John Anderson, is it practical if people want to drop donations off at the Bay Area Rescue Mission? Overall, is it just easier for everybody by making financial contributions so that you guys can go out and buy whatever it is that, that's needed the most at, the, at this time of need? Uh, cash <laughs> financial donations are always the easiest to deal with, but anyone that wants to drop off food, clothing, uh, blankets, bedding, uh, can do so at, at our uh, warehouse at uh, 200 McDonald Avenue in Richmond. And we'll, we'll greatly appreciate those gifts as All well. All right, that's at 200 McDonald Avenue in Richmond. And if getting there directly is uh, too difficult for you, again, you can go online and uh, give a donation to the Bay Area Rescue Mission at bayarearescue.org. That's Bay Area Rescue. All right, there is Reverend John Anderson, the executive director with the Bay Area Rescue Mission, for an update on their efforts in working toward relieve some of this crisis that seems to be growing as the days count on here. And uh, we can just uh, simply uh, and most importantly be in prayer for these people and then do what we can 
from a tangible standpoint to help out. Um, I, I, I just it's overwhelming when you look at the sheer numbers and uh, no doubt uh, it will get worse before uh, the last of the fires have been put out. 535 from KFAX. Let's pause and get you another update on traffic right now. And uh, Trent, what's going on out there? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, a couple of quick updates. First, the Santiago Canyon College fire. I'm sorry, that's SoCal. There's a lot of stuff going on here. All right, uh, here, NorCal. Fires in the North Bay forcing more evacuations in Santa Rosa neighborhoods. The Nuns Fire is now forcing mandatory evacuations in Oakmont. And again, I'll repeat the bulletin from earlier. Residents in the Bennett Valley neighborhood, that's along Bennett Ridge, Sonoma Mountain Road, the Enterprise Road areas, have been ordered to evacuate their homes. A community meeting about the wildfires is slated for 6.30 p.m. this evening. That's just about 40 minutes from now at Santa Rosa High School. Again, that community meeting regarding the wildfires will be at 6.30 tonight at Santa Rosa High School. And we'll keep you throughout the program posted as more information concerning the impact of these evacuations make their way into the KFAX newsroom. All right, let's turn the corner and deal with another topic for the moment. Um, I think many of us were uh, shocked at the revelation of the enormity of the Equifax breach that came to light a couple of weeks ago, impacting upwards of some 145 million Americans. And when you consider having access to some of the most intimate information about you, your credit history, the entirety of your financial life for that matter, it's, it's, it's pretty shocking. Of course, in the heels or in the wake of the revelation, uh, many are pondering the question, what next? Is there a better way? Are there steps that be, can be taken beyond simple cybersecurity to reduce access to one of the more dangerous numbers that's out there, your social security number? Michael Doherty joins us now. He is a cybersecurity analyst, director at the National Cybersecurity Society, and um, Michael, thank you for taking time to be with us today. It's amazing. Um, I'm old enough to remember a time when we used to print Social Security numbers on our checks. Boy, how things have changed. Well, that's because back then, and I'm 56, we didn't have people that could stare over our shoulders that were actually, you know, 5,000 miles away. So, you know, it was a great idea for its time. And... Um, you know, this whole, we, we've been living through an incredible, an incredible technological revolution. I mean, you know, you think about uh, what children that are now young adults are just take for absolute granted, uh, and the speed and the power they can hold in the palm of their hands is incredible. And so that means the speed of crime, uh, it goes up, the, the, your vulnerability expands. And one of the biggest problems is uh, we've been sort of caught so far behind in being proactive about privacy and security that our laws are really ancient and our governments have not had mutual agreements so that the criminals can go hide out and operate from a country that doesn't care about what happens over here, and so they can rip you off and there's nothing you can do about it. So um, we have to work to be more proactive in how we develop these things, and we have to work to mediate you know, immediate these things like the Social Security number because look, it was it came out of the FDR era, and you know, it's time for new and improved. 
Is part of the challenge here, Michael, the fact that technology is moving so quickly and that cyber criminals are so sophisticated that it's almost as if we we haven't had the opportunity to kind of allow security to catch up with a lot of the technology? That's exactly right. And, but, you know, I don't want to beat ourselves up too much. Everything that always starts out as an early adopter type situation, you don't know what you don't know. I mean, you know, just think what the poor souls went through in the early development of medicine. <laughs> I mean, it'd be considered torture today. And so one thing we just didn't know that we didn't know was about security and privacy, that we were going to create this. We didn't know that we were going to pool so much data to make it so juicy for criminals that we're going to be able to take it from jurisdictions where we had no power to hold them accountable. We just didn't know that. And, and so while, while people on their individual computers have to be smart, where there's real vulnerability is where the big pools of data are, and that would be Equifax or government or military or, you know, or banks. That, that's, that's where it is. And so individually we're kind of powerless. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I'm not responsible for what happens with Equifax. They have all my data. Now, I can't impart change there, but we do have to start demanding that our government starts working better with the technology industry, and uh, we've done a really lousy job of that. I mean, I think Israel is, is a role model for how they have created a garden of innovation. These, these seed companies come in, and they get cared for, watered, and developed, uh, and so that they, they have a lot of, um, you know, innovation. And we, we haven't done a really good job that. Our government has just worked on humiliation and persecution as a motivation for improvement, and I, I, I got to tell you, that rarely it's ever worked. Yeah, clearly we've seen that's not worked so far. I, I was surprised to read the other day that of all countries, Estonia apparently has been on the cutting edge in terms of addressing a lot of these issues, and they've been looking into things like biometric security, um, and of course, we, we just learned at the recent Apple conference with the release of the new Apple X, uh, how far they've come along with things like uh, uh, facial recognition, and we've long known that there are some benefits to things like iris scans and, and fingerprint uh, recognition, things of that sort. Are some of these the potential tools then that cybersecurity experts like yourself might one day say need to be incorporated into a system that, that in a sense replaces the average run-of-the-mill social security number, which, as you point out, is upwards of almost 80 years old now? Right. No, I think that's exactly right. And, and look, I mean, we can learn from history, you know, and all governments, I don't care where they are, are not known for their innovation. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the countries and how they manage them, and the United States has had a, a, a robust uh, innovation uh, culture, and that's because you can be successful and you can be, make money and you can start out in the garage and, and you can do all these things. But I'll tell you, you know, we're behind in getting it because until – you know, until the Target breach and the Sony breach, where, where, where executives were humiliated, embarrassed, and fired, that was the turning point on them actually going, oh, we better, we, we, we've got skin in this game. We can't just assign it to the IT department and fire them if they don't do it and we all move on. And now the Equifax breach, you know, it, it's these breaches that hit home to the general population that drive things. But we have to understand Boy, when it comes to medicine and technology, Congress ain't the place. Congress has to do what Israel did. I say it all the time. I've already said it once here. 
they have to really work on building an environment for uh, the private and private sector to do its thing, and they haven't done that. We, we've got regulators that are lawyers that understand technology that just want to enforce. Then you can be as upset as, as, as Equifax as you want, but I will tell you that there's way more many companies that are just like them with the same weaknesses, and you can justifiably do whatever you want to them. It's not going to improve the problem. We have to look at it. And, and a bit dispassionately learn everyone's behind right now. Well, and as you accurately point out, too, the federal government is one of the biggest, not only procrastinators, but instigators of all of this. I mean, it isn't that long ago that Medicare, for example, used your Social Security number as an identifying number, which means every medical record out there had your Social Security number emblazoned all over it. I think it's not that long ago, in the last maybe year to 18 months, that they sent out um, information packets to customers where the actual Social Security number could be read through the window of the envelopes that shows you just how uh, uh, you know concerned about such matters the federal government is. Yeah, and I think that was Signer Etna that did that. That's right. I think it was Etna. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So uh, yeah. you know when when you when you couple the fact that we've used Social Security not just for that system for Medicare as a taxpayer ID number as a, as an individual ID number across the board certainly the lackadaisical approach to this by the federal government has been. It, if not a major factor, at least a significant contributing factor. And I guess the question comes down to this. Clearly on the heels of the Equifax event, and I think as we begin to feel the effects of it, uh, their little offer to sign up and get free uh, for a free year of credit protection, I, I, I think notwithstanding, eventually there's going to be enough harm done that it, it's probably going to what? Demand that there's a hue and cry from Americans to tell Congress you either do this or we get rid of you? Well, that's what is always going to come up, because believe me, Congress is just a bunch of barking dogs in the yard. I mean, right now they're just, oh, let's have a hearing, which is more like, oh, let's have a play at the Kennedy Center. They get there and they throw all this drama out and they've got their sound bites and nothing happens. And the reason nothing happens is these are politicians. And, they, and, and science and medicine are very, very fact-based, and they're merciless, the politicians. So they don't want to touch it. If you're smart, you want to surround yourself with experts. If you're not smart, you think you can handle it. And we've learned that with Obamacare, all these people that thought, oh, sure, when I'm sick, I call my congressman, let's let them handle it. And we've got a complete fiasco. And, and the same thing with technology. Why the heck are we not going to be you know, focusing on improving situations when collaboratively instead they're just they're just throwing up theater and attacking people and, and then everyone goes back their business and then there's another breach. I mean and it's grown. You know, we had Blue Cross Blue Shield with eighty some odd million a year and a half ago. Now we're at hundred and forty something million and then Yahoo just changed their number from one point three billion to three billion. So now we're in the billion. So basically folks, you're already exposed. So you need to assume that and protect your data. The flip side of that is we've also learned from going on for 10, 15 years now, not to, you know, we shouldn't use fear as a motivator. There's not that much that happens to people. We don't have tons and tons of horror stories or as much data as is out there. It is where it's really bad is when the government has the Office of Personal Management and all these damnest things get taken out to other governments. That's very dangerous. And so I think... I think the drive for success and the, the legal system and the media and all the pain that comes through losing a job is going to fix this through the free enterprise system. 
way before the government gets their act together. We appreciate the insights of Michael Doherty. Michael, again, is a cybersecurity analyst, director at the National Cybersecurity Society, and a board member, too, at Snoopwall, global leader in affordable breach protection. If you want to get more information, the details on thedevilinsidethebeltway.com. All right. Thank you so much to Michael Doherty. We're 10 minutes away from the hour. Let's get you another update here on traffic and more regarding the NorCal fires. But first, the latest right now from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, we have been relieved that uh, weather today has cooperated with firefighting efforts. Uh, that might, in fact, not be the case tomorrow. The National Weather Service now reporting that another red flag fire warning will be in effect all day tomorrow. Bad news, certainly, for firefighters. Forecasters say the North Bay warning will extend from 5 p.m. tomorrow through 5 p.m. Thursday with strong winds and low humidity. Winds will intensify out of the northeast from 15 to 30 miles per hour with gusts up to 45 miles an hour. Sadly, that is that dangerous mix of winds and dry timber and warm air that got us into this mess in the first place. Also, let me repeat, if you've tuned in a bit late concerning the mandatory evacuations, um, the Nuns Fire is forcing mandatory evacuations now in Oakmont. Residents in the Bennett Valley neighborhood along Bennett Ridge, Sonoma Mountain Road, and Enterprise Road have been ordered to evacuate their homes. A community meeting about the wildfires is slated for 6.30 tonight at Santa Rosa High School. That's just about 35 minutes from now. All right, let's turn to uh, some other news this evening. Um, there is a case working in the San Francisco Bay Area concerning Valley Baptist Church and an attempt by the city of San Rafael to essentially collect property taxes the church does not owe. Joining me now with Insight is the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. Brad, tell us a bit more about what's going on with this story. It was my understanding that churches are supposed to be exempt from taxes. Uh, you are absolutely correct. Uh, the state constitution makes it very clear uh, that uh, that uh, churches, religious institutions, are to be uh, exempt from property taxes. Uh, yet, what uh, the city of San Rafael is trying to do is they're saying, "Well, look, this isn't a, a really property tax. Uh, this is a different kind of tax because uh, property taxes, uh, by state law, um, they have to be uh, based on ad valorem, based on the appraised value." Uh, of the property, or the assessed value of the property, they say, oh, no, no, this is a different kind of tax. We're going to tax the uh, per square foot of, uh, of the, the property. So, uh, so since we're not doing based on appraisal, we're doing it based on square foot. Well, the problem is the state constitution makes it very clear. Property taxes shall be assessed based on uh, value, assessed value, ad valorem. It's very clear. They're trying to get around it. And we at Pacific Justice Institute have filed this lawsuit on behalf of this Valley Baptist Church uh, to get back the 13000 that they've already had to pay unlawfully. It's remarkable the extent to which the tax collectors will go to try and distort or manipulate even clear law in order to collect taxes, even if they have to say, oh, no, it's not a property tax. 
because it's not based on the appraised value of the property, but it's based on rather the square footage of what again? Oh, that's right, the property. So it seems to me <laughs> right. as if there's a little bit of double speak here that somebody in the tax collector's office for the city of San Rafael seems to be missing. <laughs> yes, it, it's. Uh, I, we we have Pacific Justice to believe in the end that that uh, the church will prevail. Uh, we're going to, to defend them all the way as far as far as long and as long as we need to. Um, but we're, we, it's so important because if the, if the city of San Rafael gets away with this, and then other cities that are not so uh, church friendly as, as perhaps other parts of the country, but uh, like San Rafael is not necessarily so church friendly, um, we can see them uh, implementing similar city of San Francisco, for example, uh, similar taxes and uh, trying to really milk uh, these institutions that are are not to pay taxes. For a good reason, because they serve uh, the community, they're a valuable role in the community, and uh, and, it's, and that's often forgotten in many of these uh, what I call pre-church uh, parts of California, like the San Francisco uh, and, and some of those parts of the San Francisco Bay Area. Well, and certainly, as everybody knows, in the last week, as property tax bills are being delivered um, throughout the state, if you look at the breakdown of what you're actually paying taxes on, it is amazing the number of things that have very little if anything to do with your actual property that you wind up paying for inside of your property tax bill. All right, let's move to a little bit better news. And on a day like today, with everything going on in uh, news, we certainly need some good news. Um, We were following this story quite some time ago, um, where Pacific Justice Institute intervened on behalf of a local Christian school and a preschool in the city of San Francisco, all regarding the so-called medical marijuana dispensaries, and I'm I'm using air quotes here. You can't see it too well, Brad, on the phone or on the radio, but... (laughs) Uh, To me, this is largely just a way of legalizing dope use. But that said, tell us exactly what transpired here and what's the good news tonight. Oh, certainly. Uh, Yeah, the the city of San Francisco has already approved, the Planning Commission has already approved uh, actually a good number of these, what are pothouses or medical marijuana dispensaries. And, in fact, someone joked that... uh, you know, if you have a hard time finding a Starbucks, uh, don't worry, you can find a, a medical marijuana dispensary uh, to go instead. So uh, there, there's already so many in San Francisco, yet this one district, called the Sunset District, uh, is com- uh, composed of um, a number, a lot of parents, a lot of families, and also a, 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 there's a, a Christian preschool and a church that has a, a very active youth group. Well, as it turns out, the this um, you know marijuana dispensary company, they, they decided the push to have uh, one of their uh, MMDs put there as well. Uh, the Planning Commission voted 5-1 to one to approve it, even though uh, these two institutions that have children and young people were there um, easily within the 1,000 square feet uh, of the facility. Uh, they, you know, they contended, well, it's technically not a kindergarten through 12th grade. It's technically not a recreate, youth recreation center. Well, practically speaking, it's the same thing as far as church, very much a recreation center. And as far as the, the preschoolers, well, what are they going to say? Uh, we'll protect kindergartners. We're not going to protect uh, uh, preschoolers. So we went and made the case. Uh, our, our attorney there in the San Francisco Bay Area who heads up our San Jose office, uh, uh, Ray Hackey, did just an absolutely fantastic job of, uh, with the appeal and before the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. And much to the surprise of many, particularly 
uh, many in the marijuana uh, dispensary industry who I think they thought they had it locked up to make even more money in this this area. Um, the Board of Supervisors voted 9-2 to two to reject it and to reverse the Planning Commission. It's a wonderful success for the parents and the, the, uh, the preschool and the church there in that community. And while it's certainly good news, I think it should also not be lost on listeners that um, the so-called medical marijuana dispensary chain here involved, the Apothecarium, is a company that is backed by former Oakland Mayor Jane Kwan. So, so much for your city fathers and officials being concerned about the local community. At the end of the day, it seems to be all about simply the money. Good to know that um, the Pacific Justice Institute prevailed in this case, and the Planning Commission saw the error of their ways and uh, reversed their decision to allow for uh, this uh, zoning ordinance exemption that keeps intact now the planning code that prohibits these so-called dispensaries from operating within 600 feet of schools and uh, community or recreational centers or those that primarily serve children. Uh, congratulations, Counselor, on the victory. Well, thank you. And, and if anyone's out there, you need to remember that, I mean, as far as in the, the Bay Area, they need to remember that no city is obligated to have these um, in their town, number one. And number two, if they do decide to have them in their town, you uh, as parents and your community have the ability to uh, express your concerns and to make sure that those restrictions are respected with regards to protecting children in the community. All right. And uh, if you ever run into a case as a church where you need some help or a Christian school, feel free to contact Pacific Justice Institute online at pji.org. There's Brad Dake as the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute with that update. All right. 603. Speaking of updates, let's get a look at traffic right now. We'll get some headline news for you back with more as Lifeline continues right now. The latest in the world of traffic. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 